churches if they would like to go out the back doors uh, two weeks ago I had an accident with an axe some of you know the story and I literally cut off the tip of my thumb it's two weeks healed yeah it's yeah uh, you can come up and look at it during show-and-tell time uh, I, di I didn't plan on doing it. Uh, in fact, it was, it was kind of cold, and Amy was about to come home from work, and it was Friday night, and we were going to go eat, and then we were going to come home, and I wanted to make a fire, and I had some firewood, but I needed some smaller stuff, so I thought I'd chop up some of the larger stuff with an axe, and was going along there, and one of those times just went whack, and went, oh my, that was connected to my thumb. And uh, I put, I put the, the tip back on and uh, held pressure and Amy came in just a few minutes after that and I said oh I've really done something and uh, so we bandaged it and uh, it was it was pretty gory um, I have pictures on my phone if you'd like to see those but we're not gonna I did not give them to the sound guy because they're really they're not for you know, it's like when you watch those survival shows and they say, some scenes may be graphic. You know, it's like, I'm go then I tune in, I'm going, oh my, wait, huh? yeah. And sometimes you're kind of disappointed because it wasn't as graphic as you thought it could be, you know. Um, but the next morning, uh, I decided I need to rebandage it. Uh, the problem was when I, um, there's more to the story, I really can't tell. I'm getting to my point. This has a spiritual point. Uh, when I was taking off the last band-aid it was stuck to the tip of my thumb so that when I pulled off the band-aid I pulled off the tip of my thumb again and it was about that time it was about that time that Amy looked at me and all the blood was rushing out of my head <laughs> and I was getting light-headed and um, uh, it was even too much for me and I, I generally don't, and I was about to pass out. And I made it to the living room and I laid on the floor. And I mean, we put, you know, I mean, we put pressure on it. And I just said, oh, I just have to lay here. And um, I got to thinking about that. And uh, I talked to somebody, I don't remember who I was talking to, and I'm going, why is that? When you go through an experience like that, that all of a sudden you begin to lose the blood in your head and your extremities and you become weak and and I think and I, I'm a doctor but I'm not a medical doctor uh, I think it's called going into shock <laughs> and some of the medical experts could tell but I, I think literally what happens in your body when your brain says no this is really bad that all the blood in your body from the extremities begins to go to the core to the vital organs in your body now, this is my sermon illustration. If it's not medically correct, then just humor me on this one. But I, got, I, th I think that makes sense. In the midst of trauma to your body, uh, God designed it so that 
we need to send all the blood supply we can to the core of your being, which is the, the vital organs, and apparently the extremities will be okay. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought, you know, that's right. In the midst of crisis, the blood flow, which is our lifeline, goes to that which is vital uh, so that we can, we can survive <laughs> that episode. And I guess I, I wanted to apply that spiritually and ask the question this morning, what is it in our life that's at the very core? What is vital to our life that in the midst of crisis we focus our attention and go to that and make sure that's okay so that everything else will be okay? What is at the core of our being? What is the most essential what is vital that we will protect more than anything else and focus on, particularly in times of crisis? At the start of the year, I challenged us that we would take new territory in our lives. And, uh, words of the old hymn, Higher Ground, that we would say to God in 2016, what is it that you want to do in my life in the time that you've given me and really the challenge to you as a church to say, we don't want to come to the end of this year and be the same place we are, were spiritually at the start of the year. Why did God then give us that time? There is something that God wants to do in each of our lives. There is territory that he wants us to take. In the, in the imagery of the children of Israel taking the promised land, uh, there's territory that God wants to take in our lives. So we, we've described that as higher ground. And that's been our emphasis through the month of January, but it's February now. <laughs> and I want you to understand this morning that not only does God want to take us to higher ground, but he also wants to take us deeper. And in February, even though we're going <laughs> to, the sermon titles are still going to be higher ground, I want you to understand our shift, our, our attention has shifted to say, yes, there is higher ground, but there is also some deeper ground that we need to take and make sure that it is secure. We have used the story of the children of Israel being redeemed by God out of Egypt into the promise, into the, the wilderness, to the edge of the promised land, uh, not having the faith to go into the promised land. God condemning them, that generation, to die off wandering in the wilderness, coming to the edge of the wilderness, this time uh, across the Jordan. Uh, Moses being taken out of the way, a new leader coming on, Joshua crossing into the promised land. First city right in front of them is Jericho. Remember, they walked around the city, the walls fell. They took the city of Jericho. If you, and we've been following the steps of the Israelites. We haven't told the story. Actually, it's going to be two weeks from now in Sunday school in our life groups. Um, the story of Ai. And, uh, but just say that they crossed the Jordan. Jericho was right in front of them. They took Jericho. The next little town was Ai and they took it. They took it. 
And I want you to notice this morning in Joshua chapter 8, verse 30, the next thing they did. Joshua 8, verse 30. This is right after Jericho and Ai. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. The first thing that Joshua did once they got a foothold in the promised land is they built an altar to God on Mount Ebal. Uh, and part of my question this morning is, why? And there's, there's a Sunday school answer in there because Moses commanded him to do that, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But I got to looking at the map of Israel. In fact, Steve, can we show the map that we've been showing of the 12 tribes? And um, if you look just across, of course, the Jordan River connects the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And uh, the children of Israel were across uh, the eastern side of Jericho, the Transjordan. And they came across, and you can see uh, Jericho right there. And they took that city. And then if you see just a little bit north and west, there is Ai, the city. And they took that. Now, I don't have on this map Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. But do you see the city of Shechem in the tribe of Manasseh right there in the center? And I got to look at that geographically, and what I realized, uh, well, so Shechem, I'm sorry, I was jumping on my next thought. Uh, Shechem is in a valley between two mountains. On the north side of Shechem is Mount Ebal. On the south side of Shechem is Mount Gerizim. And Shechem sits right there in the valley, two mountains, distinct mountains. And... Uh, what occurred to me is when I looked at the map geographically, Shechem, Mount Ebal, Gerizim are dead center in the promised land. Right smack dab in the land that God was giving them geographically, 
You can see it east, west, north, and south. Right dead center to the promised land. Now, the scripture says that Joshua built an altar. It was a place of sacrifice. In fact, it says that they, that day they built it and they sacrificed peace offerings to God. An altar is a place of connection with God. In fact, in the Old Testament, it is the way through sacrifice that people were connected to God. And God set that pattern. He told them that they were to uh, sacrifice so that, no, this is it, get it, that sinful man could be connected to a holy God. How? Through the shedding of blood on an altar. Build an altar, sacrifice peace offerings. It is a symbol of your connection with holy God. It was an acknowledgement of God. That He was the center of their life. Historically, Brother Shane, I know you know this. In Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham to go to a land that he will show him. And he leaves Ur of the Chaldeans and he travels and he's... Can we show the map again? I'm sorry, I know. He's traveling. And what Genesis 12 tells us is God speaks to Abraham, get up, take all you got, go to a land that I will show you. And it says that he traveled and he came to the land of the Canaanites. This is about Genesis 12, verses 6 and 7. And he comes to the city of Shechem. And there, God says, all of the land that you see around you, I am giving to your, to your descendants. And the Bible says that God spoke to Abraham when he got to Shechem. Basically, this is the land. And that it says that Abraham built an altar there and sacrificed to the Lord God. I, I don't know that it's the same place. That Joshua, I do know in my study this week that archaeologists have um, uh, discovered, I think with a lot of certainty, the altar that Joshua built. It, there's a spot on Mount Ebal, and it not only has an old um, altar made of stones, but it has others that are above that, that have been built on top of that. But they, when they dug down, they came to a circular uh, rock formation that they believe with a lot of certainty that it was the place where Joshua had built his altar, altar to God and sacrificed on that day. So Shechem is the first place that Abraham stops and God appears to him and he builds an altar and he sacrifices there. The building of the altar was something that days before this, really months, that Moses had commanded the children of Israel to do. This is kind of interesting, but when we look in Deuteronomy, which is uh, Moses telling the law before they crossed the Jordan River, uh, it says in Deuteronomy 27, verse 4 and following, Moses says to the people, Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones 
which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. Uh, and, and somewhere back in Exodus, maybe 25, 20, uh, God says that when you build an altar, he told this to Moses before, when you build an altar, do not use tools, but use stones that are unhewn. We don't use the word hewn much. The pagans would carve neat stones. God says, no, take the stones as they are and build an altar. They're neat. He said, unless you profane it, unless it becomes like a monument to your artistic ability, no, unhewn stones. Moses commands them that. And then he says in Deuteronomy 27, you shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and burnt offerings and, and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God and you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. So interestingly... Moses, for whatever reason, obviously inspired by God, says when you cross the Jordan River, go to Mount Ebal and build an altar of unhewn stones and sacrifice to God. And generally if God says it, you just go, yes, sir. And so they cross over, and as soon as they take Jericho and Ai, although this makes no sense, militarily they leave whatever stronghold they have foothold and apparently the whole mass of people go to Shechem and there they're going to build, build an altar. and really quite honestly they left themselves wide open militarily you see God's strategy does not always make sense to human beings but it's always best to do it God's way the other thing, not only build an altar, but when you gather the people in that place, read the covenants. And I think they're specifically referring to the words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Build an altar as a symbol of your connecting point with God and offer sacrifices there because only through the shedding of blood are our sins atoned for and we have a connection with God. And then when all the people are gathered up, Read the words of the covenant, what God said you should do and you should not do. The words of Moses, as he shared, that God had revealed to him. Now, the interesting thing about this valley uh, is that it is a, uh, a natural amphitheater, I guess we would say. It has, the sound resonates. And it's kind of interesting when you go on and read the Deuteronomy 27 instructions... God tells Moses and Moses tells the people, I want these six tribes at the base of Mount Ebal and I want these six tribes on the base of Mount Gerizim and I want the priests to read the covenant once again. Now you're going to put them on the stones, the whitewashed stones. Yes, you're going to do that. But that day I want all of these words read again so that you will know my covenant, the blessings and the cursings and everything that God has commanded you to do. It is a renewing of the covenants so that God, the people would know what the covenant with God was.
also interesting that uh, Moses alludes to this in Deuteronomy 11.29, and he says that Mount Ebal will be the mountain of cursing, and Mount Gerizim will be the mountain of blessing. I don't know the significance of that necessarily, except I know geographically when I was doing my study, uh, there are natural springs uh, on this side of Mount Gerizim. And so there's water. And so this, this side of Mount Gerizim is lush with vegetation. Mount Ebal, no springs. And so it's barren. And I think there was kind of a picture. Mount Ebal will be the Mount of Cursing. Mount Gerizim will be the Mount of Blessing. And, and if you read Deuteronomy... Moses went all over all these things. And there's these long list of Moses saying, cursed if you do this and this, cursed would you be, curse, 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 curse. And then he says, blessing, 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 blessing. And then one scripture, he says this several times, he said, God will say through Moses to the people, I've set before you blessing and cursing. It's really your choice of what you will do. And so the priest read this. In fact, what it tells us in the Deuteronomy 27 passage is when the priest would finish a phrase, the people were to respond. You're not going to believe this. Do you know what it is? Amen. Hmm, this is off the top of my head. I really believe amen. Hmm. Hebrew word means truly. So let it be. Yeah. It was traditional in Baptist churches years ago for people to say amen. Anyhow, I'm just, I'm just saying, it doesn't happen much anymore. Except for like Brother Ed and yeah, there's a few other people that haven't gotten the memo that we really just don't do that anymore. It's not in vogue or I think people think, well, the preacher's just going to go on longer if I say amen. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey. This is my comedy show, okay? It's not yours, okay? It's only like one spotlight, and it's all on me. I'm joking. But the people, so apparently that day, the priests would read the cursings in Deuteronomy, and the people after every phrase would say, Amen. And it would resonate through the valley. And then they would go to the blessings have to believe that after each phrase of the blessing they would say amen the cursings on mount ebal the barren side the blessings on mount gerizim the fertile side but you know what and i've read the book of deuteronomy a couple times in this study just read it through and i i'm an underliner it is amazing to me to see how many times that we are come the children of Israel are commanded to love the Lord your God. You kind of get in the blessing and the cursing thing and all the laws that are written, thou shall not, don't do this, don't do this, do this, blah, 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 blah. That religion was all about do's and don'ts. There is something more to the experience of that day and reading of the covenant just saying now here's the rules people just abide by the rules because consistently in the midst of all of that 
God says through Moses, love the Lord your God. In fact, the great section of Scripture that I think the Hebrews recite every day in Deuteronomy 6, 5 called the Shema, which Hebrew word for here is Shema, and that verse starts here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The great Shema of all the things that God could say after that, of all the laws, it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. <laughs> In chapter 7 of Deuteronomy God says, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord, I love this, the Lord did not set his love on you nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Invariably he will... Say that you are to love the Lord your God and obey His commandments. Chapter 10, verse 12 of Deuteronomy. What they read that day. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, and to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. Deuteronomy 11.1 1, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His judgment, and His commandments always. And then in Deuteronomy 30, actually the, it'll be their focal scriptures for this week's prayer emphasis. Deuteronomy 30, verse 16. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And then later, verse 19, this is Deuteronomy 30. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them you see when they read the law that day it was more than about 
obedience to some rules. No, the standard was much higher than that. Yes, you, you should be obedient to the rules, but it was about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The obedience of the laws was just an expression of our love for God. We don't have time to trace it down in the New Testament, but that's what the New Testament Jesus taught. First John teaches. Hmm. So why? Why did Moses command them and why was the first thing they did after they got a foothold militarily in the promised land, did they go to the very center of the promised land and establish an altar and read the covenant? Because at the center of our life must be a heart relationship with God. At the very center of our lives, there must be a heart relationship with God. And I believe God did that for the Israelites. And he took them to the very center of the promised land. And he, he said, right smack dab in the middle of everything I'm giving you, you need to remember that you're only connected to me through the blood. And that what I ask of you, yes, is to be obedient to my laws. But the source of that is you must love me with all of your heart. And you realize that story is told to us for a spiritual example. That at the very center of our lives, there must be a heart relationship with God. At the very center. Um, our heart relationship with God cannot just be a part of our life. The altar wasn't just somewhere. <laughs> no, it was right in the middle. Your relationship with Christ doesn't need to be any place other than smack dab in the very middle of your life. As I described in my opening illustration about my thumb, at the very core of your being, that when crisis comes, everything runs to it to make sure it is protected. What if I ask you that question this morning? What is most vital to you? What is more precious in this life than anything else? I mean, that's, that's even the way we use that term. What is at the heart? What's at the very core? I mean, the heart is the very center of the body. It, 
Without the heart, nothing else works. How do we determine the time of death? When there is no more pulse. The blood is not pumping. The heart is not pumping. We talk about the heart of something as being the very center of the core, that which is most dear. What is it in your life? Our relationship, our heart relationship with God cannot be a part of our life. It must be at the center of our life. And at the center of our life, our relationship with God is not about our performance. It's about our love. You see, if, if you love something, you will seek its well-being. If we love God, no, we will obey Him. John says that in 1 John. Jesus said that. You can try to obey Him, but if your heart is not in the right place, eventually you won't obey Him anymore. We've got to go to the core, to the center. We've got to make sure that our love is what it ought to be, and then we move out from there. In times of crisis, the blood rushes to the vital organs, to the heart. It is not about our performance primarily. It is about our love. The Old Testament was written for that pattern. The Passover meal, the sacrifice at the tabernacle. The feasts were set up. 1,400 years later, Jesus comes. And the altar was not made by unhewn stones. It was made of wood. And the Lamb of God was sacrificed on a cross. And that experience, that event, becomes our connecting point as sinful man with a holy God I would say today for us on the New Testament side and this side of the cross the cross is that altar that is in the center of all of our experience it is the place where Jesus died that I might have peace with God a peace offering It is my connecting point. It is my place of worship. It is my acknowledgement of God's place in my life. It was the place where the blood was shed to connect me to God. The scripture says it several ways on several occasions. But if I could par paraphrase if God so loved us like that, what should His place be in our lives? And 
And I believe what we learned today is that the center of our lives, there ought to be, there must be, a heart relationship with God that says that, God, if you have so loved me like that, then I will in turn love you. A relationship that's not based upon simply obedience, but is based upon love. This morning, I'm going to ask our music team to come. I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, the month of February, our challenge is to draw near to God, and He will draw near to us. And uh, we've had a time of prayer this week from Ezekiel 37. We've had a life group lesson that talked about our spiritual markers in our life and really just asked the question, where am I? This morning, Byron and I are here. Uh, we're here for anybody that needs us. Uh, maybe your life has never been connected to God and I've given you a very simplistic explanation but it's through the cross that altar where the blood sacrifice was given that I might be connected to God if you've never surrendered your life and just say no I, I need the blood applied to my life I need to surrender my life to the only way of salvation and Byron and I would love to talk to you for sure we're, we're here for that most of us I would dare say in this room already took that step for me it was 43 years ago long time ago maybe some of you in the last year uh, this morning the altar is open because I think many times and this is the message that we're sharing is that our hearts drift and grow cold in our relationship with God. Maybe we forget what He's done for us, even as we talked about this morning in life groups. Uh, and maybe you would say today, I, I need to be reconnected. I need to fan the flames of that heart relationship with God. And You can talk to Byron and I. I'd really just encourage you to come to the altar and kneel and uh, tell God that. I need to come back. I need to love you as I once did. And it's only right knowing what you have done for me. If you've done nothing else other than die and pay for my sin to provide eternity for me, the rest of our lives ought to be a response of love back to Him. And so this morning... Um, the altar is open I'm going to say something real tacky right now real tacky this probably doesn't have anything to do with Jesus probably has a lot to do with Daryl Smith there's a lot of women that come to the altar I've kind of noticed the trend I don't know what it is statistically women will come to the altar and that is great I would call on men uh, 
the altar should not be filled and the aisle should not be walked primarily by women. It ought to be men. I'm just telling you. And that probably has nothing to do with Jesus. That has a lot to do with Daryl Smith going, no, it's not right. Men's call, God has called us to lead as men. And um, I would call on men to say, no, it's time. It's time for us to take our place of leadership and to say, God, I will love you with all my heart. And you know what God will do in your life? He'll teach you to love your family, your wife and your children, as he would love them. And um, I guess I'm just saying, men, don't, don't let the women outdo us in their pursuit of God. Let me pray. The altar is open this morning. This month is about drawing near to God. It's time to do business with God. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you're the God who brings life and that you didn't just give us rules. You gave us yourself and you loved us. And I pray that now our lives would be to love you with all of our hearts. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name.